with your host uh, George Ukru. I'm very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode, Garyan Waters, who is joining us from UK. Garyan is the CEO and co-founder of the automation platform Prover, and he's actually going to take us through some of the capabilities of Prover as well as walk us through some of the latest trends around uh, test automation. Welcome to our show, uh, Garyan. It's actually a pleasure to have you as our guest today. Likewise, George. It's a pleasure to uh, speak to you again. Yep. So, I'll start off the discussion, uh, Garyan, by asking you about the uh, common trend that you have seen with the automation projects. There are a lot of investment going into test automation projects, but at the same time, a lot of projects end up in failures. So, what are some of your some of the recommendations or best practices that you can actually share to project teams who are currently engaged in uh, test automation activities? Yeah, I mean, I think from my side, there's, there's such a wide range of uh, reasons something might fail. I think the reality is setting up for success is more than just tooling, of course. It's understanding the whole life cycle of what you're trying to achieve. And a lot of people might just go straight for, oh, I've used this tool before. It's going to save all our problems. We're all great. We're saved. It's just not true at all. I mean, the reason why I'm saying that is because you look at a individual project and you realize the environment's a mess. Mm-hmm. They don't know how they're deploying. You don't have an environment for testing, which is different to what well, is different to production. That's the problem. It's nowhere mm-hmm. near production. And then you don't have controls about how people are deploying. People are deploying changes left, right and center. So how are the mm-hmm. test team ever going to get grips with things? So I'd say that the, t- the tips have to start with the basics, unfortunately, about how you'd even do manual testing, mm-hmm. because that's a very big reason why automation fails, is my view. So okay. I think once you put that to one side and almost assume that you've got good processes in place, I would say that the, the next step would probably also to ensure that there's other testing in place mm-hmm. that catches a lot of stuff before it gets to us. So that would be just unit testing needs to be enforced to the right level and understood about where the capabilities are. And the mm-hmm. reason why I say all of that is because the big tip I've got is, of course, don't over-automate. If you dive mm-hmm. in and just go, right, this is where all the testing is going to happen. And you end up with a huge suite of automated tests that are really just covering over the craps of what you should, cracks of what you should have done elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you've got this sort of foundation, I feel that you can be really quite smart about what you do then automate. You automate the risk-based approach of the right scenarios that actually mean something for business. Because the other thing I've seen many, many times is the tests you put in place, the business don't understand them. Mm-hmm. which is a disaster. So if you want to prove to the business, we can go live with something, and then ultimately they then trust you to do that without verbose evidencing and walkthroughs. They need to understand what are the scenarios that are covered in your automation pack that mean something to him or her that mm-hmm. ultimately then says, yes, if you do that and you have some ticks and green boxes against those scenarios, I actually don't need to test at all especially mm-hmm. if there's no new features in there. So to my mind, if you make it real, you make sure it's readable, understandable by the business, and you've got the other things in place, that means when you run them, they're not just failing all over the place because of, oh, that's because the environment, that's because someone deployed something. Spend a day investigating why. If you've got all that in place, I think they can be a lot of success. So to my mind, the other thing you'd probably do, sort of anecdotally for me, is the NT8020. You don't try and automate the final nasty really rare scenario (laughs) that takes four man years to sort of develop and it's like no stop you know just that's a Mm. manual test just stop of course the other thing i would probably say is it's a disaster if you have an automation pack that you run once a month Mm -hmm. because 
you know, you sort of said, oh, we don't need to run it every day. It's just not true. If you don't run it every day, you don't learn where the inconsistencies are, where mm-hmm. the problems are. You need to tweak it. You need to investigate it every day. And then once you then have it in a good state, you rely upon it. And then I think finally, it's a big, broad subject. This, as you can tell for me, yep. the last thing I'd probably say is don't fall into the trap of thinking everything has to be UI. I mean, if mm-hmm. you need to make business decisions because ultimately things are far more maintainable if it's API. So if I want to test an interface, if I want to test data flows from A to B to C to E to out the door, the some payment gateway, I don't need to check the UI at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the, the most important thing for that business, maybe if it's a financial company, is that those data flows and currency permutations work. And I don't care if the admin halfway through, which has a nice screen that looks good, you know, mm-hmm. they are two different types of scenarios. So you have to design the packs, regularity of running those packs, and then ultimately just ensure that things are covered. The coverage is correct for the amount, mm-hmm. amount, right amount of effort. Okay. That, that's a great set of inputs, uh, Geraint. Like I noted on a couple of points, it is not just the tool. You need to have a good process in place. You need to have the right environment and data to run your test. You should be smart enough in picking the right test cases, whether it is UI, API. And the other important thing that you touched upon is your business or your test should be actually making sense to your business. That means you should be actually covering more of business scenarios and workflows rather than just looking at individual screens uh, when you actually do automation. That's a wealth of information, Geraint. Go to another area, which is around the tool or platform. So one of the common concerns that I hear from companies as well as some of the folks engaged in testing is about the limitations in extending the capabilities of some of the automation platforms that are in place. Many platforms do not give you the flexibility of extending its capability by adding custom code or anything of that sort. So how does it work in the case of Prova? Do we actually allow your customers to extend the capabilities of the tool? Maybe it can be an object recognition or it can be an integration with a custom tool that an organization might be having. Yeah, I mean, it's this sort of a subject dear to my heart, really, because before we even started Prova, that's pretty much the experience I had, is that there Mm -hmm. were some pretty well-known tools around at that time, 10 years ago, that were dominating the market. And they were so successful, it was extremely hard to get support. It was extremely hard to have your say in how it can do things. And it was, whether it could extend itself or not, if the user didn't know how to to extend it, Mm -hmm. then in reality, it didn't, if that makes sense. So I felt that it was absolutely vital right from founding time of Provar, that we could always make sure that we could extend as a user what you needed Mm -hmm. to do. And you're not shackled by the tool. It was like vital to me because like I say, there's nothing worse than having a scenario where you're trying to get through a particular screen. And again, I'm a big fan of these end-to-end tests that go Mm -hmm. really do provide value. But of course, if screen three is blocked, Mm -hmm. uh, there's nothing we can do. It's like, oh, it's the most nastiest thing. And I'll give you an example that I've come across. It's things like a date carousel. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, you turn up at the screen and it's got like these only way of inputting the date is to turn a dial like you would in a, in a mm-hmm. casino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can sort of pull the dials down and then yep. you get to the month. And the problem with those things, for example, in that case is you turn up tomorrow and it's already defaulted tomorrow's date. So mm-hmm. as an automation engineer, you're going to look at it and go, well, it's not the same as it was yesterday even. So You need a smart solution to that because otherwise you can't just have these super dynamic things. Now, to my mind, that requires, it's one thing in a flow of 10 screens. Mm -hmm. You need a specific solution there. And then the rest of it can be that's like you say, the low code, no code, which is the easiest thing to maintain. But we need to be able to solve that one problem. And so I think from Provost's perspective, there is always the ability to dive out to write a sort of widget of, of code. 
Mm-hmm. That, and I actually think that's one of the one of our strengths. One, you can do it, and our customers can do it. But as importantly, actually, is as a customer, that thing might need quite a bit of experience to achieve yep. it. My experiences as well is if you are wanting to do no code, low code tooling, uh, especially around Provar, you don't necessarily have someone who's 15 years in Selenium expert yep. to sort of really solve that. And so that's actually what we provide in addition to the tool. And I think mm-hmm. that the two have to sit hand in hand. Otherwise, the horrible situation is you have a situation, the, the user will say, I'm blocked, I'm finished, can't do this screen. And actually, Provar is no good as well. Well, yep. it's not true, you know, it, that any tool would have struggled with that widget, which I took set. Certain things are not designed to be testable, right? And that's just life. So to my mind, I think we do need to solve those bespoke solutions. Yes, Provar can do that. And I think that's extremely useful. That's one of the reasons why we can always test pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say the other thing I'd chuck on top of that is we're starting to roll out something called Marketplace, which is not unique to us, but it's going Mm -hmm. to allow us to have uh, sort of more of a community sharing of because mm-hmm. you know a lot of us are testing the same things yep. I mean, Salesforce is a classic example of that yep. where you know and that's part of our business model but I do also think that you've got other applications which are imminently testable but one particular company has just nailed it mm-hmm. and they will be the solutions like my date carousel okay. why not share that in a more positive way than just scouring the internet so that's something we're going to be championing to sort of help people talk to each other and solve those solutions that, that's a very interesting uh, thought and idea. I would say that uh, people would love something of that sort because if you can actually share some of your reusable code or maybe widgets that you've created, that definitely helps because everyone has need not break their head to actually create a solution. So that definitely would actually help you as well uh, from a product standpoint because your users would be uh, finding it very easy to actually crack on some of these problems, technical problems that they may come across. That's very interesting. Yeah. The other area that I would like to touch upon again on the low-code, uh, no-code kind of tools is basically there are multiple approaches of generating test cases using an automation platform. You can do maybe a model-based testing kind of an approach where you take a workflow and then try to automate it. And then there are a lot of organizations who would actually prefer to actually use a BDD-based approach where they have a user story in place and they would like to actually automate the user story as part of this print testing. But what I've seen from my experience is most of the low-code platforms that I've worked with doesn't support BDD to a great extent. It's mostly workflow-based automation that's supported. So how does it work in the case of Provar, uh, Garant? Like, do you actually support both of these approaches or is it like only the model-based approach? I mean, I, th- I think um, it's an interesting topic, BDD, I've got to say. it's um, I haven't heard as much about it in the last few years, I've got to say, as mm-hmm. I did maybe the years before. But I agree with your summary there as well. I think it is lots of don't support it. I mean, in Provar, we do support it, mm-hmm. but not to its full extent. So, mm-hmm. for example, a lot of our customers will have defined their tests in BDD language mm-hmm. because they're familiar with it and they're comfortable with it. And again, talking about the business side, they're conversant in, okay, I like the way you've described that. And of course, consistency is key. You have to make sure that everything's done in a certain way and then everyone gets used to that way of working. So, so from Provost's perspective, we might arrive at a new customer and that's how their tests have been defined in a spreadsheet maybe. So mm-hmm. we, we have all the test steps that allow us to have the BDD keywords. Mm-hmm. So that allows us to translate that it looks and feels exactly how it's been defined. So I think, mm-hmm. that, you know, we keep that, that sort of consistency across where it's been defined and into the tool. And then secondly, the big thing then is about when are you next going to see, want to see that that definition is in your test results. Mm-hmm. So again, we have features where you can sort of 
have the BDD steps only printed out, to have the, the key variables printed out next to, you know, the actual statements as well. So you've got the real time answers to what actually happens for the key values mm-hmm. and yeah, just all the different filtering that comes with that. So I think that's to the extent really that, that Provar's implemented BDD. And, and for us, actually, that's worked OK and our customers are quite happy with that. Mm-hmm. But again, the one step further with BDD, of course, is that you'd then be generating test code. And that's why you won't see vendor products really embracing that, because we don't yep. want some generated framework of, a, and let's face it, it just generates like a class or something. It's not really yes. compatible with a test tool maintaining it. Yep. So again, for me, the length we've gone to is to make sure that if you've got that test case defined in that way, then it, we preserve that and we mm-hmm. make sure it's sensible and understandable. And okay. I think that's probably the right level for, for Provo anyway. Mm, okay, that, that's interesting to know. The other area which I would like to touch upon is around Salesforce uh, testing. So we have seen a, an increase in the adoption of DevOps practices when it comes to custom development. So are you seeing a similar trend around package applications where more customers are looking at implementing DevOps practices as well as continuous testing when it comes to a package application like Salesforce, for example? Yeah, it's true. I mean, I when I first came across Salesforce, which is probably about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. which at that point felt late to the party, by the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, the cool thing about Salesforce is people are joining the ecosystem on a daily basis, you know, they're, yep. and they're really embracing it. So, But I, I'd come from a background of sort of custom developments where we were massively into DevOps at mm-hmm. that point. And I couldn't really get my head around how immature the DevOps was in Salesforce mm-hmm. at that point in time. It was extremely immature. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for it is, of course, that in a custom development, you get control of everything, right? Mm-hmm. It's your database, it's your yep. server. Your, and of course, you have to play by Salesforce's rules here. And the platform itself was immature in this space. So mm-hmm. I would say the typical practices at that point were this huge copy back from production mm-hmm. into a dev org, for example, or a mm-hmm. full sandbox or what have you. And that ultimately then meant that you did the, in some cases, you would apply changes manually mm-hmm. because they were just thorny. And in fact, there still are, I'm sure, some of those. And then you had other things like change sets, which allow you to take a unit of deployment and mm-hmm. put that in. But it was always arduous, quite manual, and then also you know, fraught with difficulties. Now, on top of that, the working practices were scary as well. People genuinely were changing things in production, which you can. Yep. People were permissioning so testers in production uh, mm-hmm. with admin without really understanding the consequences of what they've done. Whether things go wrong or not, it was just scary. Mm-hmm. So I think in general, I think the point I'm trying to make, as you can tell, it's just it wasn't so thought through. Mm-hmm. And now if we roll forward 10 years, I do think that Salesforce themselves have been focusing on this and developing tooling. So I think equally is, is it's quite tricky. And I'll tell you why. is because Salesforce keep acquiring new companies. Yep. So, you know, they'll sort of say, we've got Salesforce DX or DevOps Center coming along with different initiatives. But then it's a case of, oh, we've now got MuleSoft, we've now got CPQ. And, and that's also something you've now got to deploy. And so yep. it's, it's a moving target in order to mm-hmm. do this. And wherever it's not quite sort of fully integrated, of course, it's, we're falling back to some sort of manual situation. More, okay. So again... In parallel to Salesforce, take it far more seriously and also the ecosystem understanding along with Trailhead, sort of how to do some of this stuff better. There is a lot of vendor tools now that have grown up and I think the, the market's starting to mature significantly. Mm-hmm. I'd also go hand in hand with that is the back backup situation because again, I think way back when, if you were just a sales team using Salesforce, you're not really panicking if they lose all your data. You are a bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> 
But if you have a major pharmaceutical that's got 10 years worth of regulatory data about mm-hmm. a pharmaceutical product that they're pushing out there and Salesforce have an issue, Jesus, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a problem. So I think the, you know, the, there are tools that are sort of there and it, that, that's quite a closely aligned thing, the ability to deploy and then roll back that type of mm-hmm. thing. So again, this stuff is, is really quite mature now and um, that's quite exciting. But again, I think the, the challenge really still is though, is that it's a moving environment. And again, if I, I always compare it to custom, if I'm in my custom environment and I'm responsible for development of my platform and then eventually it's deployed and then the, the maintenance is less because I've delivered all my features. Yeah. It's not like that in these packaging environments yep. in the cloud. Whether your system's changing or not, theirs is. Yep. So you're constantly having to keep up with the change of technology, the change of the un- underlying features that Salesforce keep bringing out that might not even be visual. You've got to keep mm-hmm. up with that to understand how it affects you. And I guess some of these sort of complementary tooling around the DevOps space assist you to do that. Okay, but I think there is there has been a progress, and I think Salesforce is in the uh, what do you call race compared with uh, the other package application. I think the maturity of DevOps practice around Salesforce it's much higher compared with the other package application, maybe like SAP or micro even Microsoft CRM Dynamics. I've not seen a lot of organization adopting DevOps around these package applications. Yeah, I think you're probably right. However, actually, I have seen some more tooling around SAP. Okay. Uh, late but like you say and actually i think that, that particular application i'm thinking of were excels for devops practitioners oh so okay looking at that vast market so yeah okay. I think so. that's good to know so the other area what i would like to touch upon is on test case failure rate or test group failure rate so we have where you have a bunch of automation scripts that you've created and maybe it's for an application like salesforce and when you end up running them for a formal regression cycle or as part of your devops pipeline what happens is a bunch of them would actually fail due to script issues not because of the product defects there are a lot of script maintenance that may be required in order to fix them so how is that a platform like provar is actually trying to help automation engineers to minimize this effort around test script maintenance I mean, the the issue with sort of the the failure rate with false failures, there's a million reasons, as you as you're aware. Mm-hmm. I think with regards to recommendations, and we specifically talk about Provar, is it's good to have a, a test tool that understands what you're testing. Mm-hmm. And Salesforce is such a vast implementation now, where people are not just using it for sales and marketing. Of course, it's People are building their whole businesses on it. So if that is yep. the type of situation where companies embrace that as a major platform across the organization, then of course, having a tool like Provo that just understands that is great. Now, what, how does Provo understand that, I guess, is the question. And mm-hmm. how would that be increase your uh, or decrease your failure rate? Yep. It's because typically, if you throw a generic tool at this stuff, you could only use the DOM, typically. Mm-hmm in order to test it, if you're trying to do the UI testing. We'll talk about mm-hmm. API testing in a minute. And now, typically, that's absolutely fine if you've developed a website for yourself because it's static. It's slow moving. Yeah. You know what you've changed. If you then replace a few widgets in the middle of it, you know that your developers did it. If they yeah. completely make a horrible thing of it, you speak to them. You can't do that in this case. The cloud vendor yeah. apps are the updates are out of your control, and it, it can completely torpedo any work you've already done. Now, the reason why Provol can get around that to a degree is because we firstly use metadata. So we know where fields are, even if the configuration changes. And that's mm-hmm. a very smart part of our USP. In addition to that, though, is there's more changes to Salesforce, which, of course, that come along that aren't just in the locators. There's structural mm-hmm. things like menu items, related list positioning. And that those type of changes will typically come out three times a year. Mm. And uh, ultimately, the advantage we've got, again, is that we have early access to those changes. Okay. 
And a lot of those things are inherently uh, built in to ProVar, that knowledge, because ultimately it saves a huge amount of time in the initial creation of test cases. But again, mm -hmm. we're then taking the hit on the maintenance of that, which benefits all our customers because every one Indeed. of our customers is a Salesforce customer. So I think that's, you know, that does allow you to, to reduce the failure rate right from, from out the gate. Now, in addition to that, in a gene more generic sense, we've got something called callable tests. Other products mm -hmm. would have something similar, maybe functions. In that sense, you've got to use those things, mainly because, of course, you don't want to have duplication across your test cases. So if you've got, mm -hmm. in our case, I want to create an opportunity, I would typically expect to see a callable test that sort of create opportunity with some parameters you pass in and maybe a, something you get back out. Ultimately, when the opportunity object changes, you could go into that one callable test and add that new mandatory field, which mm -hmm. all tests will need. You can't get past that screen if you don't add yep. the mandatory field. So it just means that if, if you've been lazy, and it is lazy, it's actually more work, but it's also lazy. If you had 10, 20 tests and every one of them had the fields for opportunity, okay. yep. and then it changes, you're going into 20 tests then. And yep. then you have to retest 20 tests. Now, yep. okay, so in this case, you probably would have to retest 20 tests, but you know that if it passes for one, it's probably going to pass for the others. So mm -hmm. I think that's a no-brainer. But again, that's not necessarily just a profile thing. And that's just good practice. Yep. The other thing I'd say is, is vital. I mean, this is the killer, is intelligent weights. Because this is the frustration where you go, well, it worked yesterday. Nothing's changed. <laughs> you're right. Nothing has changed. But by yep. the way, the network was having problems. And the hardware yep. you're running this on is having a bit of an issue. And the application itself, Salesforce, they have issues they are ultimately mm -hmm. sitting on a database and across the world all that type of stuff yep. so the reality is it can just vary and mm -hmm. if you're got your weights in some sort of hard-coded fashion exactly right of course they're going to fail over time so anyway yep. again from a probe perspective we have many inbuilt intelligent weights that's around mm -hmm. page loading a lot of frames in salesforce at frame loading general sort of work is also retry retries so if mm -hmm. something's going to fail then just bomb out you know, have the option to just try again and then fail because okay. it just makes sense. But again, in custom frameworks, a lot of this stuff has to be consciously written. And yep. again, if you don't have a, a great framework to live within, then again, there's just code after code after code. And a lazy way, again, to do it is to fix it on failure every time. Oh, well, that one field, failed. <laughs> well, I better go and change the time on that. And then next time, it's not that field, it's the one above it. Oh, I'll change it. <laughs> I mean, you laugh probably because you've been on projects where the time consumed to really make it mature is is months the too much effort on the simplest of tests yep but again i think you know it is where we've spent a lot of time improving what we do and and also one of the hardest parts of that just to keep going is really when it's happening via for us sort of the ant for example which is where we run mm -hmm. either headless Scripts, and those type yeah. of because a lot of people want to end up just running this stuff overnight and that's a particularly nasty thing to after the fact, just understand what's happened. Mm -hmm. so you, you know, to have that sort of baked into your tool, to have that, to reduce the failure rate is mm -hmm. pretty valuable to the team on the ground, having to, to live with those failures. Mm, that, that's an interesting set of practices, uh, Gareen. And one thing that I've realized from my personal experience is the more you run, the more stable it becomes. And that's very important also. You were mentioning about the number of times that you need to run a script. I think if you keep on running it, your script would be actually in a very good state. You'll be able to fix some of the synchronization issues. It'll be more reliable and you can definitely cut down on your uh, failure rates as well. The other 
area that I would like to touch upon. So there is a general perception uh, in the industry that Prover is a Salesforce testing uh, tool. But I know that you're supporting a lot of other technologies, a lot of package applications. So can you throw some light around the capabilities as well as some of the uh, package applications that you're supporting in addition to Salesforce? Yeah, I mean, we, we're very focused in how we talk about ourselves because, like I said earlier, we only have Salesforce customers and we're, we're dedicated to solving what is a, a, a nasty testing problem and keeping our eye on the ball because it's constantly evolving. You know, yep. what we tested four years ago in Salesforce looks nothing like how we test it now. Yep. That, that takes a lot of effort to keep up to speed. So that's it's just really important that our customers and people understand that because it is this sort of evolution that's going on in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, Salesforce projects are not Salesforce alone. I mean, yep. if you want to do end-to-end testing, you have to be able to do the integration points. You have to be able to do the commonly integrated systems as well. And so yeah. From Provost's perspective, we've tested, continue to do so, Workday, SAP, Oracle. And at the end of the day, that if you can't do those things, then of course, you're just an island of automation, which is exactly not what we are. So yeah. we pride ourselves in the ability to end-to-end, pride ourselves into the, the business flows that we can test. But what we do say is that you know we do have you know things like the intelligent weights and built-in variables and all those type of features, but we don't have special source like metadata. Mm-hmm. Because in general, it doesn't exist. So we test those applications in the same way that you might do by leveraging the DOM and intelligent. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, we don't shout from the rooftops. We're an SAP mm-hmm. testing tool. You know, <laughs> okay. it's, not, it's not really for us to say we can do that as well as anyone else mm-hmm. from that perspective. But we, we specialize in that end-to-end testing. So we can test SAP, we can test. But on top of that, I've got to say, what's really important is when we do start getting into the realms of this application hopping, Mm-hmm. which is in your cream of tests, really. It should be, yep. you don't take that, granted, like I say, you have that unit test layer, you have these different things coming up. It, I think you should strongly be considering the API testing. for okay. it, Because if you do have a test, and we have them that go from SAP into Salesforce, into your retail website, into a call center bot, into this mm-hmm. thing, all in one go. And every part of that is UI, which again, mm-hmm. yeah, can drive all five different browsers at the same time. That's absolutely fine. But let's face it, browsers are inherently unstable mm-hmm. in what they do. And especially if you then start doing it headless and on a Unix box, that type of thing. So to my mind, if we're smart, we can make sure that we we choose certain things that like, well, do I really need to do the UI on that one? Can I do web service calls? Can I maybe do it, you know, an email testing approach where mm-hmm. I intercept the email, download the PDF, check the content of the PDF. So from my perspective, I'm trying to say, I think is it's really important to choose for the really important scenarios, did it need to be UI at all? And, and for that reason, Provoc can easily do sort of, you know, these more complex tests across multiple mm-hmm. games. Okay. Yeah, we so, can definitely do the browser testing. Okay. So very, very interesting uh, point of view. So you want to be, you're specializing in Salesforce, but at the same time, you don't want to not support end-to-end testing. End-to-end testing can be on any technology or any kind of package application, which you're currently <laughs> supporting with the uh, platform. A very interesting uh, point of view. Finally, I would like to ask about the upcoming plans or some of the cool features that your team is actually working on. I know that uh, your development team has been pretty busy since the last couple of months. So what are some of the cool features that you're planning to release in Prover in the next, I would say, maybe next six months or so? Yeah, I mean, in addition to obviously the work I've sort of mentioned already where we keep up with releases, we've got a release coming out soon to support that. And also we're, we're, we're heavily investing in developing solutions around LWC. Mm-hmm. which is the sort of development framework for Salesforce. But on top of those things, we do have a major new launch soon for mm-hmm. Provost test management solution. 
Um, mm-hmm. So we're currently in beta with select customers and, and sort of imminently planning a launch date for that. Now, mm-hmm. I think the background to this is, like I say, Provar, we've been around 10 years. We've got you know many, many customers, over 200 customers in the enterprise space. But what we're all still seeing in many cases is many teams heavily relying upon spreadsheets yep. for reporting and pulling different sort of islands of information together in a disparate fashion. Because typically, a lot of the integration tasks and, and that collation tasks is quite time consuming. So it's very hard when you've got to break the back of an automation project to be investing in those type of things. So what we've developed is a native test management solution for Salesforce delivery teams, which is mm-hmm. ultimately there to help us organize, analyze, and optimize the Salesforce testing activities. And, it, and it's quite exciting because I think it is going to allow us to sort of really organize these projects Mm-hmm. Um, around the, the sort of reporting needs that you'll have for the business, get rid of your spreadsheets. And on top of that, allow us to analyze it. So once we have that data, we can mm-hmm. really visualize it and look into it, see what defects. So we're going to have good integration with the defect management tools to allow us to really understand link uh, failure mm-hmm. rate with what, what actually happened and have that quality metrics to get a better picture of quality across the organization. And then it goes further. We can start to sort of really optimize the hub for planning, execution, integration. Um, mm-hmm. So you can really pull all this information together, whether it's unit testing or whether it's sort of code quality things. So it's really, yeah, we're really excited about it. You're going to hear a lot more about that in the coming months. Hmm. That's very good to know that you're bringing in a test management feature as well uh, into the platform. So we've run short of time, Geraint. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us and sharing some wonderful insights around test automation, ProR, as well as on Salesforce. So it was very uh, useful. There are a lot of new learnings and very happy to know that you're coming up with new features around the ProR platform that is worth exploring. So thank you so much again for joining and have a wonderful day. Yeah, thank you, George. Great to see you again. Before we sign off, we would like to thank all our listeners for the wonderful support. We started our journey with the Automation Hangout podcast series during the end of February this year. And today, we have crossed 2,000 downloads within a time span of three months. We have also been listed in the top 20 software testing podcasts by FeedSpot last month. We would like to thank you all once again. And until we meet again, goodbye.